I hope you're excited for this week. I know, I know for some it's, it's a tough, tough season because you're experiencing maybe some grief and stuff and, and you're like, okay, I, I don't know what I think about Christmas. Uh, I want to talk to you about love, not politics. No thank yous for that? Come on. Uh, not going to talk about... I'm not going to talk about money, even though it's fun. You know, yeah, see, see, now we're getting into this. I want to talk to you about love because obviously Christmas time is supposed to be about love. Uh, when you look at any kind of historical, how church has celebrated Christmas, you're going to hear about hope and joy and peace and love. But I, well, I'll get into this. I'm not sure that, that we know the subject of love as well as we think we might. So I want to do some pop culture to help us understand why what might have gone wrong with pop culture. 1972, for those of you who remember 1972, I do not, but in case you saw 1972, uh, where is the love? This came out. This was a hit. Now, this did not change the world. Some of you think it might have, but it did not change the world. But the reason I bring it up is that the lyrics in this song, Where is the Love?, are telling because it was a season, 60s and 70s. Most of us at least have studied the 60s and 70s. Love was a conversation. And what was being felt amongst the American culture specifically was that love meant different things to different people. You, I know right now, when I, when I say I'm going to preach on love, we're going to talk about love, many of us are like, you got different definitions than maybe what I've got right now. So when I say the, the rival of Jesus demonstrates God's love, we've got a whole mixture of stuff. 1972, that song comes out, begins to tell the, the, the happenings of culture in that people are redefining what love is. In fact, if you were a research project done in 2014, studied the lyrics of music to see, has anything changed in our nation regarding lyrics? Well, this was one of the early signs. They began to track where love, instead of being talked about, like let's just say in, in the emotional context, like the, the, the I just love being with you, your character traits, just our commitment to each other, and then having a song all about that. And love will begin to change words and be, and be about uh, let's have a good time instead of saying the word love. Well, then if you're like me, I grew up in the 90s when music was good. Uh, <clears throat> I'm learning the older I get, not so much actually. But in the, in the 90s, uh, I grew up around R&B, uh, hip hop, rap, you know, all that kind of stuff. And if you look at the progression of lyrics, we move from like, you know, I'm so committed to you the rest of my life to where when I grew up, most of the lyrics were sexual. I mean, they just like literally, let's talk about sex, baby. Like, like. It wasn't even, wasn't even abstract. It was like, all right. And so if you'll track through lyrics, which research projects have done, they've, they begin to learn that we move from love being this major emotional connection to becoming a physical connection. To where it sometimes lyrics even nowadays are like, why talk about love? Let's just talk about moments we had with each other. This is affecting you and I. When I begin to talk to you about, hey, let's talk about the love of the Christmas story. You have a working definition, whether you've intentionally done it or not, in your life of how you love and how you receive love. Uh, more studies have been done, even on movies. Some of you love romantic comedies. <clears throat> I purposely said some of you love romantic comedies. 
Again, when I grew up, romantic comedies were about the only thing you could ever see in the movie theater. But romantic comedies, if you don't know the history of romantic comedies, they're fading away. And if you want to know why, why? Is it just that people are uninterested? No, it no longer fit their definition of love. The idea that people would maybe not be attracted to each other at first, wouldn't have this major physical encounter, but there would be this emotional kind of process they went through to eventually you've got the people who hated each other now in love that became to be foreign to us because we're like why would you start a relationship why would you deal with someone you don't see everything exactly the same as so romantic comedies went by the wayside interesting isn't it i think it tells you and i that perhaps we don't know what love means so there's the context for the sermon don't answer out loud do you know what love means Someone was like, well, yes, I think, but since you brought the question up, why don't you kind of do your thing, David, and let me know if I know I'm all right, all right? So, so let me help. I'll, I'll walk you right into this. The New Testament was written in Greek. The reason I bring that up, that the Greek language, well, have you ever, you've, you've misunderstood someone or you've been misunderstood and you spoke the same language? Huh? Well, when you begin to try to understand something said in a completely different language, in a different tradition, a different culture, a different time, things can get messed up. So let's talk about love, but let's, let's do this. Greek, the New Testament, the story of Jesus written in Greek. So you'll read the word love in your Bible in the New Testament, but oftentimes in Greek, it was a, a range of different words, so it gets lost in translation. So there's four main, there's, there's multiple, lots of them actually, but four core words in the Greek that said love. I'm just, these are just uh, actual definitions. Eros, passion, intimacy, attraction. Some of you are remembering when you fell in love in middle school with someone you'd never spoken to. Uh, here you go. Storge, uh, excitement and wonder. Now, some of you, you're nerds, and so you're like, you know what? You are really overgeneralizing these words. I understand I am. I, I know that. I, I know that. I've, I've read books that take this one word and open it up. So I understand I'm overgeneralizing, but I'm just trying to teach through something. Excitement and wonder, where, where you've seen this. You kind of felt this before. You're just wondering what the other person is doing. It's just exciting being together because it's new and it's fresh. And, uh, philia, support and friendship. It's a type of love where, where it just is fun for you. It's exciting for you. It's a way for you to show love, to show support, right? And agape love. It's a different kind of love. Selfless, other-centric, other-centric. Let me warn you. Can I warn you? I'm going to take you into something here that some of you are not going to like or agree with. Huh? Huh? I'm about to share some things with you about our culture uh, that I've not come up with. But I'm about to show you some things that will say, here's what our culture does. And then we're going to eventually get to, here's what God says, and they will be at odds. Okay? I'm just prepping you. I'm... Oh, okay, okay. <clears throat> so let's apply this to dating. Yeah. Oh, wow, I did not expect this. Okay, here we go. Uh, dating's interesting. I, uh, I do not know anymore. I'm happily married. Just, just want to put that on the table. I'm um, happily married. Uh, glad to not be dating. But what I am told by folks who are in the dating app world is that it's not near as enjoyable as you thought it might have been at the very beginning. 
And so researchers have actually begun to study what is the problem with dating apps. By the way, I'm not saying I hate dating apps. I'm just telling you what researchers have found and what many of you have experienced is that, man, this just isn't working and there's lots of different answers and a lot of different reasons. But they have assembled this and I thought this was helpful for you and I to understand. If you want to understand when Jesus came, he loves you. That's a big deal. Love of God is powerful. But you're like, it's not landing, David. It's not landing. So you and I got to peel back our culture and say, what, what lies have been fed to me? The dating app culture is this. Starts with Eros love. Um, are you hot? <laughs> Literally, if not, swipe. All right, I'm, I'm, see, the, now I'm getting amens. I need to preach on this more often. Like, but, 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 but this is, and so if, if, you, if you feel like you aren't, you feel like you've lost and you don't even do dating apps and you begin to say, listen, some of us right now go, I can't find love because I don't meet this standard in our culture. You see how sad it is? Storge love, uh, can I have an exciting time with them? If you didn't swipe, you begin to look at their bio, the resume going, are you an astronaut or not? Because I, like, there's, you've, you've got to have stories I've never heard. You've got to have money that allows us to do all the things that we've ever dreamt of doing. You've got to have the right job, the right setup, the right amount of kids or no kids or where you live. You see what we're doing? We're looking at evaluating, like, like, can I have an exciting time? Like, is this going to be amazing if you pass that test? Now that we've slept together, do I want to build a friendship? Some of you are like, David, you didn't bring up all the details. Yes, on purpose. It's Christmas time. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> but oftentimes in our culture, if you determine that you're attracted to the other person, it goes to physical intimacy very, very, very fast. And eventually in your relationship, you decide after you've gone through all of this, now, now that we've had all the physical intimacy, let's talk emotional intimacy a little bit. How about, how about friendship? And if you decide, you know what, we're actually pretty good friends. This is awesome. We're physically compatible. We're friendship compatible. Now that we've moved in together and are friends, should we get married? I feel like I should preach the rest of this part not looking at anyone because some of you are going to accuse me of looking at you. <clears throat> I've tried to tenderly walk through this part of the message and each sermon I get to preach this. I I feel the Holy Spirit saying, say it. So some of you will feel like I am throwing judgment your way. I'm telling you, no. Um, I've got my own story, put it in a book, was not fun, that I have not done this perfectly at all. But our culture is going to tell you that this is the way to find your one true love. Our culture will tell you, you want to find love, practice how you buy a car. Our culture will tell you that your one true love is like buying a car, test drive it, Make sure it has every option you could ever dream of having and then commit. And what I could tell you is research is telling us that this is horribly falling apart on us. Research would tell you that if you move in with your girlfriend or boyfriend first before getting married, that you've sabotaged your relationship. Can you overcome it? Yes, you can possibly but you have sabotaged it. You have set yourself up for potential failure and hurdles that you never were designed to have to go through. 
That's just research. That's not the Bible, but the Bible does tell you not to do it. But uh, research will tell you don't do that because you're setting yourself up for hurt. In fact, again, not staring at anyone because I don't, I don't know all your personal lives. I'm just telling you, if you move in first and you're not married, what you've actually subconsciously communicated is I'm in this, but not all the way yet. If you want to make it personal, I don't ever want any of my kids dating someone, believing the other person's all in and they aren't yet. You see how meaningful? Listen, your pain in life is going to be in the area of love. Your, your actual relational ability to have friendships, to have a, have a lifelong partner, to have, to have people in your life that you're like, these are great relationships. For you to have the ability to live life as God intended, you've got to understand love. And what I'm trying to show you is culture is manipulating and twisting and saying, oh, here's how to find love. Go about your desires first, and then maybe one day decide if you're going to commit. And I'm telling you, it's, it's hurting us. It's hurting us. It's... It's hurting our understanding of how much God loves us. Because we think, listen, we think God's doing the same thing with us. That he's trying us out. Okay, let's put dating on pause. Some of you are like, please stop talking about my relationship. I'm not, that, <laughs> so let's pause, let's pause dating because I think we all agree that love isn't just romantic. Love it like, goes across all, in fact, in fact, let's pause dating. Let's talk about Bruce Springsteen, okay? I just, I think it's a... <laughs> It's a natural transition, natural transition. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, if, if, I don't know if you're familiar with his music. Maybe you don't like him. Maybe you think, finally, David's preaching good. I don't know what you're thinking right now. But Bruce Springsteen, uh, notoriously known as someone who's been able to articulate his pain in lyrics. He's, what he's known for is not that he has the most angelic voice that we've ever heard ever. He has an ability to take pain and strife and turmoil and difficult, put it into words in such a pattern that you and I are going, oh, wow, that's my life. Or it's the life that I want. Bruce Springsteen uh, had a book put together about his life. In the book, lots of interesting facts and details and stuff. But what's been most gripping for people who have read it often say it's when he describes his relationship with his dad in regards to love. What if you don't know this, uh, he and his dad, not super tight. He wanted it. I mean, I don't, most, most sons, most, most kids wanna, want some sort of a good relationship with, with their dad in the healthiest of environments. Uh, he articulates, no, they didn't have that. What's interesting is in 1990, Bruce, uh, he, they have a kid born, so a grandkid to his dad is born and gets this weird, all of a sudden, his, Bruce's dad wants to come on over and see the baby. It's weird to Bruce. He's like, this is not normal. My dad didn't care about emotional stuff like this. He wasn't connected to us like this. But all of a sudden, impromptu 400-mile trip to go see his grandkid that was just born. Shows up, the way Bruce describes it, he and his dad went out for some beers at 11 a.m. that morning to have a talk. Just begin to talk and talk and talk. And his dad, Bruce's dad, brings up and looks at Bruce and says, Bruce, you have been so good to us. But then he finished his sentence. Bruce, you've been so good to us, but I have not been good to you. If you have a parent wound right now, some of you have been desperate for such words. 
where your mom or your dad would look at you and acknowledge that the way you were parented was not like you should have been parented. And if you heard that, it would be like one of the most powerful apologies that wasn't actually an apology, but you would do something to your soul in that moment. And that's how Bruce describes it. So Bruce wanted to ask some questions. So while they're having a beer, he's like, hey, Dad, um, did, did Grandpa, did, did your dad ever say I love you? And many of you know psychology enough that likely you know the answer. He said, no. My dad never said I love you. In fact, in fact, he describes, he goes, you know, the best we ever got as kids, we would sometimes say to him, hey, pops, I love you. And their dad would say, yeah, me too. That's all they got. Some of you are like, that's more than you got. I'm telling you, you have to say that perhaps our understanding, but not just our understanding, but our, our giving of love has become so warped by generations, by culture, by what we think is true, by our actions, by our desires, that many of us, we go into Christmas and, and we know it's about love. We know love is one of the subject lines, but we don't get it because we nowadays have redefined love to where if I'm going to love you, I have to affirm everything in your life. And I know just as a parent, no way. The best way for Katie to love me in our marriage is not just to look at me always and say, whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want. She doesn't. <laughs> so we have to admit as human beings this. We need reminded of what love really is. You might have known. You might know right now. But I tell you, you're going to have to be reminded, reminded, reminded. I love it. It still has not gotten old when my mom and dad say, I love you. I refuse to ever stop saying I love you to my kids. I, I love it. Um, Ellie, uh, I'll, I'll give her hugs. She doesn't really want them uh, throughout the day. <laughs> And I'll hold a little longer because I can feel her body language in the sense of, you know, this is fine, Dad, that's good. All right, and I'll just keep. Because I know there will be a day. She'll wonder, what is love? And I want her to reference her dad. So you and I need to have a quick talk. I'm going to try to do this quickly. Where we understand what love is. To the Christmas story. John 3, 16. If you didn't know, that's a part of the Christmas story. I know someone was like, wait a minute, that's just on signs of football games. No, it's more than that. <laughs> more than that. Uh, John 3, 16. Uh, for this is how God loved the world. This is how God loved the world. If you've never read the book of John, John is brilliant at making sure you and I know what's God's motivation. You ever wondered, like, God, really, what are you, what are you doing this for? And John highlights Easter and Christmas. His book basically covers Easter and Christmas. A little bit more, but that's what he gets. Because he wanted you and I to know this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. It's beautiful. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. If anyone's ever told you, you know what, Christians are just judgy, that's what religion is, there is no, there is no, in the Greek, 
It says, no, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. You get a choice. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into this world, Christmas. But people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. Here's a nerdy thing you should know. In John 3, 16, where it talks about how much God loves us, that he sent his one and only son, that love, agape love, other-centric, sacrificial, the same Greek word for love is used where it says that people loved the darkness. Interesting. That you and I can be so devoted to the things we should not be devoted to, sacrificing for things we should never sacrifice for. Takes you back to the definitions of Greek and, or the Greek definition of love, and you begin to look at this and say, I think our world, one, has gotten this way out of order, right? We've really screwed this up. In fact, in fact, I feel like I've kind of left a, a, a conversation with us going that's been unfinished. I'd like to finish it. For those of you who are ever dating, dating now, later, whatever, would you like to know what healthy dating looks like? The answer is yes. Here we go. <laughs> <clears throat> Using these Greek words, if you were to ever consider dating, uh, start with eros. Am I willing to offer them sacrificial care? Now, I told you, not, 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 I told you there would be a time in this sermon where culture and God's word would do this. They just did. Because some of us are like, we start with that? I don't even know if they like Chinese food yet. This is key. When my kids say, hey, am I ready to date? One of my best answers to them is, are you willing to sacrifice? And what I mean is the relationship. Are you willing to say yes when you should say yes? And I hope you're willing to say no when you should say no. Are you willing to say over when it should be over? Do you see how pivotal, do you see how much pain we would not have to deal with if you and I went into this kind of relationship this way going, am I willing to sacrifice? And some of us don't even think about it. We just go in because the person, we're attracted to them. Am I willing to offer them sacrificial care? If the answer is this, yeah, I'm willing to be sacrificial. Storge, are we, are we friends who connect well? I know, this is blowing your minds. You're like, wait a minute. When's the physical intimacy? Start with friendship. <laughs> if you can't even be friends, break up. If you're married... Some of you, I just know how you think. You're like, oh. I'm talking about before you get to a marriage covenant. But some of us are like, okay, okay. This is not what we're going to see in the movies. You definitely won't because it'll be too slow of a movie. <laughs> After your friends and after you've been offering sacrifice and you've been willing not to make yourself the center of the relationship and you've, got, you've now got a friend, can we build a life on a united vision for life? Do you see life similarly? 
Sadly, a lot of couples don't bring this up until year two or three of their marriage where they begin to see over the course of their marriage, oops, we didn't ask all the questions. And then this last one, agape love, I will commit to you forever no matter what. You know what that is? Vows. In sickness and in health, no matter what. Richness, rich, poor, and then if you don't know the good vows, the ones that have been around a long time, they basically like covered all in like pretty much anything. Nothing. No matter what. A marriage is a profession. It's a, it's a covenant of no matter what. Some of us have inverted this and messed it up to where we're playing marriage without the full commitment and we're creating a bomb. And I love you too much. You can be mad at me about what we've talked about or you might be able to save your heart. The Bible says protect your heart. So let's leave dating. I know some of you are like, please get off of it. Okay. Um, <laughs> you and God, me and God. First John 4, let's talk about Christmas and, and God's love. God showed how much he loved us. Agape love showed it. How did he show by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Sacrifice. This is real love. If, we, if you are willing to acknowledge that today's culture, today's movies, music, friends, even society in general is going, this is love, this is love. No, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Romans 5. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Well, well what, how in the world? For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. Why? For we know how dearly God loves us. Listen, it's so key that you know that God loves you because you're going to have moments where life will seem so chaotic, so painful, so unknown that one of the main questions you're going to be asking in your heart is, does God see you? Is he aware of you? Has he left you? Has he abandoned you? And the only way to anchor down and not drift like that and go into chaos is to know that God loves you so much, no matter what, that it's sacrificial. So here's a lesson if you like lessons or points or a follower of Jesus must let Jesus define love. Not, not your boyfriend, not your girlfriend, not the music you listen to. Let Jesus tell you what love really is. And in case you've forgotten, I thought, what do we do? Extreme. What does a teacher do? Bolds it. If, he, if it's bolded, then we're like, that's what I need to know for the test. It's a secret. <laughs> Selfless and other-centric. Society will tell you love is all about you fulfilling your desires, getting what you want, what you crave. No. Now, some of us are going, I'm not very good at that. Neither am I. So here's a lesson. God's love isn't based on your performance. 
Let's settle, let's settle ourselves down a minute as we talk about God's love because sometimes we get in like, well, I don't do the Christian thing well, the religion thing well, or I don't, I, so I don't all show people sacrificial lie. This is a struggle, David. I don't do this while I'm up and down. Cool. God's love isn't based on your performance. I got proof. Romans 5. Let's go back. When we were utterly helpless, it's you and I. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were screwed up. This should be for you and I a bit of an open door moment where we begin to understand that today God does not love you any more than yesterday or tomorrow based on what you did last night, what you thought about, what you don't have resolved. Love is not merit-based with him because love for him is so sacrificial that he just, he made you and has loved you and always will love you, always care about you. Does it mean he likes and approves of everything you're doing? No. It's full of grace and mercy. Max Licato tells a story about he and his daughter. One day he got a, a phone call from the bank. The bank said, hey, one of your accounts is overdrawn. And he looked up online, which account would that be? It was his daughter's who was at college who decided to not pay attention. Now, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands, but most of us have had this experience at some point in our life where that account got way down. Max Licato says he was faced with this dad bit of a dilemma. You may have been there before where he's like, okay, what do I do? Oh, oh, I, I can call her and kind of give her the talk, the talk of like, what in the world are you doing with your life? $25.67. She's overdrawn. Plus, you know banks. I'm going to say love these moments, but anyways, uh, there's a fee attached to it now, and now that you know this is accrued, and so he's thinking, you know, and I can I can berate her, I can I can do the dad talk, I can tell her that she's being irresponsible, that she should she should do better, she should know better, she should pay attention. But guess what? The bank's not going to say, oh, you had the conversation with your daughter. Oh, good. Well, it's zeroed out. No, no problem. No fee. No fine. You're fine. Just we actually put an extra hundred dollars in there for you. Thanks for having that conversation. They're not going to do that. He knows that having that conversation with her doesn't fix the immediate problem. Then he begins to say, well, <clears throat> tell her to get a job. <clears throat> and she can own this a little bit. And, but most of us understand jobs. that It takes a little bit of time to even draw a paycheck to get that money. So that's not going to work. The only solution he can come up with as a dad is like, I'm going to pay it. So he goes online, pays the fee, puts the almost 26 bucks back into the account, and then he calls her. Hey, sweetie. <clears throat> the bank called. Your account uh, is at zero. In fact, it, it, it's overdrawn. She immediately is super sad, says out, Dad, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Then there's a pause. And she says, you know, dad, I'll fix. And he stops her and interrupts her. says, no, 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 no. Before I called you, I took care of it. Before I called you, I took care of it. Before you knew about it, I fixed it. It's exactly what God has done for you. 
before you were ever born and before you ever screwed up the first time, the second time, the third time. I don't have enough time to go through all your times (laughs) or mine. Before you ever screwed up, God sent his one and only son to earth to pay your fine and then waited for you to be born to one day hear about the good news of Jesus Christ that it was paid for and said, all you do is, if you'll believe and, and follow his way, you'll understand why he was doing it. Love. If you're going to get the Christmas story, you've got to get love. Jesus told a story about this. It's really cool. It's really encouraging to me. Uh, uh, Jesus told him a story. If, if a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Now, some of us are like, Bye. I mean, it's 99. It's too cold out. Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will, caref- he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors and basically have a party. Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. God loves you. He doesn't just say that he loves you. He told story after story after story that he loves you. And in fact, the ultimate thing is he came and died for you and paid the price for your sin before you ever knew what sin was. He loves you. Now, a lot of you know this. And now you know the Greek. You're welcome. You speak another language. (laughs) But that's not the whole lesson I think you and I bring into Christmas. Because you know that love isn't just about me. God loves you, and you aren't the only one God loves. Church, can we please own this? Can we be the kind of environment, the kind of people, the group that we call ourselves a church? Could we be the kind of person that says, God loves me, but he doesn't just love me. He loves anyone and everyone. Could we be the group of people that even when we're uh, going through a checkout and it's a long line, it's the longest line ever, and you've already solved the whole company's problems on how to open up more registers and what to do, you are, you are a master doing this and you've solved it in your brain, so by the time you go to pay, that person's no longer no longer a person, they're an obstacle. Could we not be that group of people? Could we be the kind of person that says, you know what, I'm in this line, I'm gonna own it as an opportunity. When you're having an argument at home and you got a point to prove, not that this relates to any of you, but if you have a point to prove, what if you let love lead your conversation? There's a problem, I think, amongst the American church. I'd like to tell you about it. I'm going to use Matthew. It's not a, it's not a new one. but Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like like sheep without a shepherd. They were the one. He said to his disciples, which if you don't know this, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a disciple of Jesus. Whether you find yourself to be a good one or a bad one, you're a disciple of Jesus. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great. I mean, there's lots of lost people. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest 
Ask him to send more workers into his fields. So you might say, you know, what's the problem in this world? Well, it's God's love. We need God to love us more. He's not loving well. In fact, oftentimes people say, I'm not sure that God loves me because there's problems. I've got problems. So I would tell you, the problem in this world is not God's love. The problem in this world is our urgency. I contend with all my heart. If there's one thing I want to give my life to, and I don't care how it looks, I want to spend the rest of my life letting people know that God desperately and longingly loves them. Because if there's one problem in your life that I can solve that's worth solving, it's knowing the love of God. There is nothing greater, nothing better to do than to pass on the love of God. So I think we ought to say, not only have I accepted the love of God, but what about the people who don't know the love of God? So here's your application to this sermon. One, if you don't know this yet, you should. I would love to tell you about Jesus at Christmas. I can't wait. I'm going to read a kid's book to you. It's going to be fun. And it's going to be special. We're going to sing. And I sure hope you got tickets if you're coming. But there's a problem. I think I solved it. Uh, Jared, a guy on our team, and I, we're, we're amazing at graphic design. No, we're not at all. Not, not one bit. Not, not even close to it. So we pretend to start our own company as a joke. And so, uh, so we redesigned this beautiful, this, be, this is beautiful, and you'll notice we redesigned it. You're welcome. As you might, well, I'll sell this to you for $20,000. Uh, no, no. I thought this might help us go into Christmas. Now, if you think I'm being literal, I partly am. Reserve their seats. Talk to them first. But what if you and I started seeing the checkout lines, our own dinner tables, our conversations with our coworkers as to reserve a seat for a moment that you get to display and speak love. What if that's how we went into Christmas? I will tell you this. You'll begin to experience the love that God intended you to experience. Because love is never designed to just keep it to yourself. So, let's be this kind of a church. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you have loved us so much better than we could ever love you back. But God, we love you back anyways. You led the way. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for intervening in our lives, each and every one of us. You have done it over and over, whether we've accepted it or not. God, thank you for stepping in. God, if this is a moment for someone who the first time is even understanding that you love them, would you just continue to work on their heart? Help us to be a group of people who says love is something that should be distributed and said and shown and lived. But God, we start with you. Thanks for showing us, teaching us. Help us to love well. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.